Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Rachel, what you got going on? I have a story to share, Chris. So, as you know, <laughs> um, I work with a lot of students and um, a lot of families, and I'm kind of coaching the process of AAC and Oftentimes families come to me after they have already been working with someone else and they already have an AAC system, but they feel kind of like they're stuck and they're not making progress. And, you know, they've had this device, but, you know, their their child's not using it. And so one of my clients I'm thinking about um, probably started working with them about seven or eight months ago, <clears throat> came to me with a system that was very limited, which many times I'm looking when I have this kind of a case where it's like, okay, you know, my child has AAC, but it's not working, right? Like I hear that all the time. Like we tried that. It's not working. Um, I'm like, what did you try? Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at what we tried. (laughs) And I would say 80% of the time I'm looking at systems that are not set up for success. (laughs) Meaning, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, I kind of get why it doesn't feel like it's working because like, you know, we only have six words on here or, you know, we have like this very clunky system that's been so customized and changed from its original format that, you know, it's very hard to navigate and it's a scrolling homepage or there's all these things that come up and I'm like, huh. So I kind of have to go through this process of kind of starting afresh, (laughs) either starting with a new system because that one was very limited or, you know, taking the current system and just kind of changing things around so that the students that, you know, we're working with are more likely to be successful, um, easier to navigate, um, more words, all those things. Right. So this, this case that I'm working on seven or eight months ago, the student is, um, 16 years old. So a teenager and, um, long story short, the family comes in to do a consult with me. I look at the system. I'm like, uh, like, was very limited, not a lot of words, very big buttons. I'm like, what is this? Who set this up? (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I'm teaching about motor planning. I'm teaching about like design with the end in mind. Like, here's what we want, you know, the system to eventually look like. How can we work our way back from that? And so this family in particular was very hesitant to, um, have like a full system. When I showed them like, you know, the home screen with 80 plus buttons on it, they were like, wow, this is a lot. Like, we don't think this is good. And so I'm like, okay, like, let's just use some masking. It's okay, everybody. And, you know, they had their behavior team there and, you know, their SLP was zooming in. It was like a whole kind of group team meeting and everybody was kind of very scared, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I totally understand, especially for this family. They've had the AAC for a long time. It's never looked... It's always looked kind of probably similar, right? Like, you know, these big buttons and, you know, so I'm kind of saying, hey, like, let's, let's switch this. Let's like give more buttons. Let's give more vocabulary. Let's change the way it looks. Let's make the the icons a little bit smaller so we get more real estate on the homepage, right? All of these things. And so there was a lot of pushback from the family. And so I worked with the family. I said, hey, like, let's find some really meaningful words, strategic with the vocabulary. We can mask some of these other words for now and then eventually we'll reveal them. So the family was like, okay, this, this seems good. I, um, so I've been, one of my therapists has been seeing this family regularly and I check in and, and hear about progress. And what's been so great, Chris, is that 
you know, of course he starts using it, um, you know, the new system, but they feel like he's not making progress. He's plateauing. And so I'm telling my therapist, like, you need to add more words. Like, I think he has so much potential here. He's very social. He's very communicative. Like, I think this is the roadblock, right? Like the roadblock is like, he doesn't have enough words. Like, I I really believe that. If you don't have enough words, how do you model on it? Right? Like here's Right, right, right. Exactly. And this student's very responsive to modeling. And so... I'm like whispering in my SLP's ear, like more words, like get more words. Like, and I know it's hard because like, she's in a situation where there's lots of skeptics, like no, too many words is not the move. Right. So slowly, but surely she's been like adding more and she's been working with the family. What are other routines? What are other, what's other language? She's adding phrases. She's adding social things. She's adding all these things. And I got an email. Um, I got an email from the family this is after we've been working with them for seven months. And the family was like, you know, we think that he's ready for the full system. And I was like, yes, like uh, you guys can't see me right now, but I have my fist in the air. Like this is such a win. And sure enough, it's been a month since we added, we, we went to the full system. He has the full system available and he's doing amazing, Chris. Like he's every, like everyone's so excited because they're like, you wouldn't believe what he said. You wouldn't believe what sentence he, you know, formulated. You wouldn't believe what he, he's saying spontaneously. I would believe it. I would believe it. I believed (laughs) it seven months ago. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I was just like, wow, like this is just, it's like these types of emails, these types of, uh, wins or why we do what we do. And, um, it just like, is very affirming to me. And hopefully to our listeners out there, um, you know, some of our kids are roadblocked because of us, like they're roadblocked because we have been gatekeeping vocabulary and keeping their vocabulary small, thinking that we're helping them. But what they really needed was to have expansive vocabulary opportunities where we have opportunities to model all different types of language, um, and that was the exact situation for this kid. And I'm so excited to to have kind of sh- shifted the team's approach and their mindset around, um, you know, what AAC should look like and what his device should look like and, you know, all of the different options for um, communication that he now has because he has more words. He has more language. So I have a lot to say on this. So, well, something that I've been wrestling with a lot lately is uh, these two opposing views that I have with myself. Okay, so one part of uh, picture this little imp on my shoulder saying, "Chris, remember what you learned? The parents are always right, right? The like they they, they know their kids best." Um, so that there's this, like I said, creature in my shoulder whispering, "You know, the, just listen to the parents, respect the parents. They know the kid more than you do, right? They live with the kid, so listen to them." And then the 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 other creature on the other shoulder is like. They're scared of the AAC, and you can tell them uh, that if they do, if they follow the strategies you're suggesting, then then they'll be better off, and their kid's going to have more language, and they don't really know better when it comes to language. You have much more experience. You've been studying this and with and been doing a podcast on it and been spending so much of your life on this. So uh, these uh, sometimes I turn to the right and be like, okay, I'm listening to you. Sometimes I turn to the left, sometimes I'm listening to you. And I, I get stuck in that, um, in that situation sometimes because like, come on, just do like, 
don't hold him back trust like me. yeah trust, trust me. me trust what i'm saying you know like like you're not, you can't do any harm that way and they just seem to have this fear around it you know i am coming into that on the on the regular in my practice because i work you know primarily with families and parents and you know one way i like to think about it is First of all, it's really important to be good listeners when you're working with families and understanding what they want, what they think is important, and asking a lot of questions helps you understand what their mindset is around AAC. And I think that the mindset piece is always the biggest one because that tells us if there are, you know, limiting beliefs or misconceptions or, you know, what their fear is around um, AAC and underneath it all. And so I think we can ask the right questions to get to that understanding and knowing. And then what I think is really cool uh, and fun and, and a challenge for me sometimes, but then it, it, it becomes, how can I simultaneously support this family and their ideas and their wishes while also planting seeds for growth and change and evolution? So I think it starts with kind of like building that trust that like, I'm here for you. I'm here. I think you, what you think is important is important. And then I can plant those seeds for change and growth and evolution. And the therapist that you're working with can water them and throw some sunshine on it. And seven months later, when they say he's ready, what they really mean is we're ready. <laughs> right? Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And that happened because you planted the seed seven months ago and it took that long for it to germinate and to grow. Right? Um, something else that's sort of uh, uh, similar to this is, so... Uh, you recorded that interview with Alyssa Hillary Zisk and Lily Conine, and I did not get to listen to it until it was released, right? Despite you saying, Chris, you got to listen to this, I didn't li listen to it until I was in the car. And I listened to half of it, got to a school, and then did a training for, for some parents. So I didn't get to listen to the last part of it, uh, the last maybe 20 minutes of it. I go in and I do this training, and what I say in the training to these parents is, here's what I want you to know about AAC right out of the gate. I want you to know it doesn't hurt, it only ever, it only helps, and I want you to know that it is like learning an instrument. Um, it takes time, it takes practice, it takes years to get good at in some cases. This is going to be hard. Um, and it's going to be worth it. Just like anything in life that is worth doing, it takes effort and time and practice and it's hard. It takes effort, right? And so I set them up like, like now we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to get to work, right? And they, and they were like, okay, you know, and I, I think they, they got it, right? And I also said to them, parents, you're not the first people to have to face this. Other people have learned to play instruments and we can learn how to learn how to play instruments from those people. Other people have learned how to use AAC, and they've learned how to support people learning a language with AAC. And so you're not the first people to do this. We can learn from them. So let's keep asking ourselves the question, well, what did other people do that worked? <laughs> and so I, that brings me back to the conversation here with these parents is, okay, seven months, they weren't ready, seven, you know, seven months earlier. But I wonder, hmm. Could we ask them, these are questions maybe we can ask the next set of parents, is what do you think has worked? You know, where do you think you can find that information? And they, if you ask me, I can tell you what has worked. And what people say is 
give us access to more words faster. They never say, give us less words. We've never heard that once. What we should do is mask and hide the words as our first, as our first strategy. It's always give us more words. So let's start with that. And uh, knowing that this, that exists out there as that there's people who have done that can be really um, empowering for people. Like, right, I, I'm not the first one to run a marathon. Other people have done this before. So I mix my analogies. And then one last little thing to wrap up my story here. I go back out to the car and I listen to the last 20 minutes. And what do I hear Alyssa and Lily say? Don't set it up that it's going to be easy. Tell people it's going to be hard. And I was like, I just did that. It was so reaffirming. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that part of the episode. Highly recommend going and listening to that episode. There's so many uh, gems of wisdom in there. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that we have to set up reasonable expectations um, with families and with educators that it isn't easy. I feel like I say that often. I'm like, it's not easy, but it's, it's worth it, right? Um, I think that setting up the expectation is a really important piece. Yeah, and that there's people who've done it. You're, you're, you're not alone and you're not the first. You can go to different Facebook groups and um, whatever your social media of choice is. Uh, we, of course, are big fans of that, that Loma podcast talking about literacy, but Loma in general, but that particular series of 12 episodes, go listen to that, you know. Um, but there's, there's plenty of places to go be part of a community and learn from the people who have come before you. I love it, Chris. Um, okay, what's our interview on today? So our interview today is with Sydney Elkin Birchfield. And who that is, is she is a student who is learning about assistive technology, is participating in an assistive technology course. And one of the assignments in that course is to contact somebody who works in assistive technology. Um, and so they contacted me. And then I said, well, for the interview, what if we recorded for the podcast? This helps even a larger number of people. This is not the first time we've had an episode like this. Jamie Grant was someone else that had uh, participated, and it turned out to be one of our most popular episodes of the year. So maybe this one will be just like that. It'll be one of the most popular episodes of the year. I'm so excited to listen to this interview. If you enjoy talking with tech, we could use your help in spreading the word about the podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews the podcast gets, the easier it becomes for others to find it. The more people who find the podcast, the more the word spreads about how to effectively consider and implement AAC. And who doesn't want that? If that sounds good to you, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick review. We'd so very much appreciate it. Now, let's get back into the episode. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Sydney. Sydney, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Pronounce your last name so I don't mess <laughs> it up, um, and let's get to know each other. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. My name is Sydney Birchfield, just Birch and Field, um, and I'm an occupational therapy assistant in a school system. Um, I'm also going to George Mason University in the assistive technology program, in the master's program. And that's how we got hooked up, right? Is that yes, um, that's correct. You know, uh, Dr. Cindy George, is that yes, yes, I've had her for a lot of classes, so I feel like I know her really well, even though I've never met her because it's all virtual. So, <laughs> oh, where are you located? Can I ask? I'm in Virginia, so I'm not too far away from George Mason University. Oh, okay, well, I'm in Virginia too, so oh, like, okay, yeah, where do you mind if I ask where in Virginia? Sure, I grew up in Covington, but I currently live in 
um, Blue Ridge, which is close to Roanoke. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm up here in uh, Loudoun County, up in the north. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that about a year ago, there was a couple episodes with someone named Jamie, Jamie Grant, Jamie Grant. Yeah. Jamie Grant. And, um, it was actually, it turned into a two part episode because Jamie was in the seat you're in right now. She, um, <laughs> uh, was taking the, was, was participating in the same program through George Mason university hooked up in the same way. And, uh, so if, if people want like a, uh, foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about today, but I think <laughs> you have your own set of questions and your own unique spin and there's stuff you want to learn. So, so let's dig in. Okay. Yes. So I was going to ask about you, actually, if that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so looking at your podcast, I think I already know the answer to this, but what is your specialty in AT? Um, well, it's interesting. I am sort of a jack of all trades when it comes to um, assistive technology. But if I had to... Um, if I had to really answer that question with fidelity, mm -hmm. I would say, or with sincerity, I would say I act at my, there's sort of three legs. Um, one leg would be um, helping people systemically build out their inclusive design practice um, or their philosophies or their frameworks throughout their entire school district. I feel like that's my, that's my specialty. That's what I've written a couple books on and, um, and uh, that's what people ask me questions about. And that's where I spend a lot of time thinking about and researching about. So that's number one. Um, number two would be flipping the, the script from assistive technology to inclusive design. And let me just explain that, Sydney, because I know you're in the assistive technology program, right? And right. when someone works in assistive technology for many, many years, and you get years under your belt, you start to realize this phenomenon that, you know, uh, someone's coming to me with some sort of educational dilemma. You know, a student is having trouble with X or Y or Z, and then we come up with technology that might help with X or Y or Z. But then after doing that for a while, Sydney, what you find is, you know what, what if we didn't just... Uh, provide technology for X or Y or Z? What if we provided technology to help you design it in better in the first place so that it's options yes. for everybody? And that whole challenge that they were facing in the first place gets mitigated because we we prevented it from becoming an option or preventing it from being an obstacle in the first place. Mm -hmm. So inclusive design, um, I think is assistive technology into inclusive design is my second leg. And then the third is, yes, I work with reading and writing and executive functioning. And, um, but I mean, clearly I spend a lot of minutes in augmentative and alternative communication, really language development, um, using those, uh, uh using that technology, uh, is I guess my third, uh, passion, you know? Right. Well, it sounds like you are very integral into AT. <laughs> I, I, here, here's how I say that, Sydney. I've got some minutes in it. Meaning, yeah. uh, you know, I've put some minutes into this in this topic over my career. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we actually, I watched one of your, and that's, I guess, when I first met you, um, your 
video on technology consideration and assessment for secondary students. Mm -hmm. We watched that for one of our modules. So I kind of got introduced to you then. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That was like yes. a, like a webinar I did or something. That's it was. Like, yes. Lives was out on there YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Miss George can find all of the resources. She's very good at that. Um, so how did your journey in AT begin? Has it always been associated with your job or did you find a passion for it later on? Yeah, uh, excellent question. So years and years and years ago, I my background is a speech language pathologist. First three years of my career was working in an elementary school as a speech language pathologist. And I sort of gravitated towards the technology. I mean, it's not like, um, I mean, I just had an interest in it, you know, like, mm -hmm. But I, I would never back then, even today, call myself like a technology person. I don't know that exists. You know, it's right. just we, you know, where do you put your minutes? And uh, I saw some ways that, um, you know, spreadsheets helped me and, you know, those sorts of productivity tools for my own, um, for my own getting through the day faster, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that extended to using technology with with learners, you know, uh, back in the day. All right, Sydney, ready? I'm really going to date myself. Um, we, uh, the first year that I started, we had these big clunky digital cameras and you would take the way it would save the picture was on a three, five floppy, these hard floppy drives that you're okay. into the back and they were big clunky and you could take like, I don't know, 15 seconds of video on it too, but then mm -hmm. it would just eat up all the memory. Right. So those are like the first, but I was one of the first people using those. And then I was using uh, old VHS tapes to, um, when I say first people using, first people I'm using them in my district, first mm -hmm. speech language pathologist using them in, in our district. And then I would use video recording to help learners look at those videos and then like watch it back. And, mm -hmm. um, and I always still feel like, uh, you know, the old adage is still true. If um, you can teach somebody else, then you know it better. And so I used to try and do that with the kids that I was working with is like, let's make a video of teaching somebody else. So that kind of like, those were the technologies back in the day. I mean, email mm -hmm. was just getting started. Websites were just getting started. So, um, so that's how I then, uh, because I wasn't afraid of the technology, my mm -hmm. school district came to me and said, do you want to be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Let's do that. Um, and so that's where I grew from there. Um, and it was really with uh, my colleagues that I learned that assistive technology, um, I'm, I'm still learning this, that uh, so many people think assistive technology means uh, it has to have a battery or it has yes. to plug into a wall. Or it's a robot. <laughs> yes, or it's a robot. And it certainly can be that, but yes. it is not. It is technology just means tool. Assistive mm -hmm. technology means technology that helps. And so that really broadened my horizons, like to, to, to then think, well, geez, this is really talking about using technology to rethink about education from the ground up. And uh, mm -hmm. I, be I become passionate about that. That's awesome. Well, and back to the definition of technology, assistive technology, any is italicized that word, any, it can be anything. And I think working in a school system, that has been one of the hardest things to help people kind of change their perspective on especially during an IEP meeting when we get to that consideration part of the IEP meeting and 
oh, no, we don't use any assistive technology, but they're using visual aids and low tech aids and all types of different things. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or even the service aspect of it. Um, Well, yeah, we did move him closer to the front of the board so he could see it better. Um, or we do use um, we did decide that we were going to sit here instead of there or we we're going to give him all of that is related to a service. Yes. Right. To help. Yes. So. All of that is assistive technology as well, which means it's a really wide umbrella. And Cindy, mm -hmm. what I would also say is that it's a drum that you have to keep beating. I mean, I it's now I've been doing this for over twenty intentionally <laughs> over twenty. That was years. my next that's, question. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's ballpark it at twenty five years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a drum that continues to beat because I have certainly done presentations recently, shown the slide that you're talking about, where here's the definition of assistive technology, <laughs> and I got the word any bolded, and the feedback after those presentations, there's always people. I say, okay, what did you learn? What are the you know they'll take the last five minutes to give us some feedback what'd you learn and there's always people that are like we didn't know it was anything you know right. we thought it was batteries or plug-in or yeah. robots you know well and that's the legal definition too and we've strayed so far from that um i guess just in general with our society of what technology actually is yeah, but sure. assistive is in front of that technology and i think that is a key word in that definition assistive technology yeah 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 um, so it sounds like mostly the settings you work in is the school system. Is that correct? And you also teach assistive technology to um, professionals as well. Yeah. I mean, the day job is working for a school district, you know, mm -hmm. and then the, the side stuff after work and um, beyond uh, weekends and everything else is mm -hmm. like this podcast is on my own, you know, Rachel and I, but I mean, I'm not doing it for my school district. Um uh, the books and everything are all, and all the presentations are outside of my day job. Right. Um, have you ever done an assessment in a different setting than a school system? Mm -hmm. Maybe for um, post-sec, or excuse me, um, somebody in the workforce, in a nursing home? So that's, in, let's talk a little bit about that term assessment, because mm -hmm. that is where, um, things get a little bit different for me, I think, mm -hmm. than sort of how, or maybe the way, the better way to say that is how assistive technology has evolved over the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. So to be explicitly answer your question, no, I have not. Um, mm -hmm. But I also am more of a fan of thinking of an assistive technology or really just a technology or even, let's put it more general, a resource consideration process mm -hmm. where we are considering resources and considering changes and assist and technology and assistive technology is just one of those aspects of the consideration process. Mm -hmm. So I think, Sydney, if you were, um, if we you know, we jumped in a time machine and we went back 20 years, you'd hear a lot of people in assistive technology talking about that term assessment or evaluation, mm -hmm. where the model was, um, uh, or was thought of, it was, it was sort of aligned with, well, we know how to do evaluations for speech language pathology, or in your case, occupational therapy, right? 
kid is having some sort of difficulties, let's call in the occupational therapist. They would do some sort of evaluation or assessment, give us some ideas, and then we move from there, right? And so yeah. assistive technology came in on the heels of those other related services. And so a lot of people said, well, let's just do the same thing. Like let's do let's do an assistive technology evaluation or assessment where we bring someone in like an occupational therapist or you know a, a speech language pathologist or someone else to consider uh, and, and look at the student and look at their environment and look at their tasks that we're asking them to do and then come up with a, a, a formalized report that sort of suggests some options. And I got to say, Sydney, for years, I did those, you know, and mm -hmm. we helped a lot of kids. I don't want to say we didn't. But as the years went on, we realized that a lot of a lot of those were the same, you know, or providing the same strategies, same ideas. Man, is it a waste of time to go out, make suggestions, write it all up in a report. Mm -hmm. And then we found a phenomenon happening where we would do that and the the team would come back, look at those suggestions, put them in place or not put them in place, you know? And yeah. even though they were great suggestions, so that was like, well, we don't really have time to help you put them in place because mm -hmm. we got to get on to the next assessment, you know? Right. Um, so that really started to shift. Do we need the word assessment? Mm -hmm. Do we need the word evaluation? Or do what we really mean is to help you, the, the team that's working with the individual learner, consider the options and those consideration would include technology, but it would also include like, so it would include tools, but it would also include maybe looking at different tasks and maybe mm -hmm. redesigning the environment, you know, like there are adjustments we could make there. So now the way I think of it is no longer this sort of uh, expert model where you call you call up a Chris Bouguet and he's got some minutes behind this <laughs> and he'll come in and he'll tell you what to do that nobody actually does or very few people actually do. It's mm -hmm. now we call in a Chris Bouguet uh, or a Sydney Birchfield and Sydney guide us by mm -hmm. asking us questions about what what we should be considering. So the next time we have the next kid, we can ask those same questions and we can get better at this process of considering the needs. Um, and that's a, that's a big shift, you know, um, and we're still kind of teaching a man to fish a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That I think. And uh, so that's why I, I, I know uh, from a year ago when um, Jamie and I had the same conversation that you are ha mm -hmm. having that there's this sort of questioning about the assessment process. So in the upcoming questions that you likely have, I'm going to keep bringing it back to that assessments have moved to consideration and assistive technology service has moved to more uh, coaching people through yes. the, that consideration process with a little bit of sometimes it's just like, do you mind if I tell you something? You need word prediction. You know, mm -hmm. that's what's missing. You need to don't you don't need a Big Mac for AAC. You need this more robust thing. Like occasionally it's a jump in and just tell you. What right. You <laughs> right. Well, and I think with assessment, you know, most of the time it's associated with an IEP or some formal um, documentation. So we all feel like we need to have that formality of an assessment formality of documentation instead of just opening up a conversation that would provide a lot more success than having that formal assessment. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of that, uh, depending on where you are, but mm -hmm. um, has sort of drifted away and people have sort of embraced this consideration model. Um, 
the where it's sort of uh, what tying it to what you just said about IEPs is that where I see it happen sometimes in my experience out in the world is mm-hmm. um, with advocates. So as a family, I've hired an advocate to help me help us navigate through this process. That means I'm paying somebody for a service. Those people then need to make it seem like they've provided a service. So, hey, without me, you wouldn't have got this evaluation. Now I've come to the table and said, I need this evaluation. Look what I got for you. I got you an evaluation. When really, is that what was needed? Could it be a uh, what I got you is someone to consider, you know, to talk you through this consideration process. Right. Do you need an advocate to do that? Or could we just have that consideration process? That and one other thing, Sydney, I'll say is I don't know any place that's done it yet, mm-hmm. but there is no definition of what that assessment process needs to look like in a um so so when someone does request an assistive technology evaluation. There, there isn't a hard, fast legal rule that I know of, of, well, that means within 60 days you do blah, blah, blah. And the structure and the format means blah, blah, blah. Right. So, and it, and it, so it could be, I don't know any places doing this yet, but I would love to see someone do this. Say, okay, when someone requests an assistive technology evaluation, what that means is we pull all the stakeholders together, including you parents, and we go through this consideration process where I ask you a bunch of questions. We together land on some things we'd like to try first, and then we provide a little bit of a write-up that uh, summarizes that conversation. Mm-hmm. And then when people go, oh, where's the evaluation? Yeah, we just did it. That's what <laughs> that was, right? That's where we evaluated the situation. We assessed the, the situation. And then we um, came up with them. Um, uh, the needle moved and we decided we wanted to try some things. And that's what it is. You know, that's that's how, that's how when you someone writes that in, that's our process for how that how that looks. Mm-hmm. I would love for that to be the the, the next step in the evolution. I would like that too. As someone from a smaller school, um, we've worked with TTAC, Virginia Tech at TTAC, um, and they've helped us form an AT team. Um, but prior to that, you know, a teacher would just see the OT or OT out in the hallway and say, you know what, I have this student. And it was all very informal. And we would provide a suggestion. And But now looking at the scope of trying to make it formal and being an assessment, it really does limit you and I think sometimes it acts as a barrier of, oh my goodness, we have to do this long assessment. It's going to take so long instead of actually just providing assistance to the mm-hmm. student. Well, Sydney, in the optimal world, so again, listening to the podcast or when you're 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 doing this for a course, what we'd really love to see happen is that uh, at least quarterly, but maybe more frequently, um, educators looking at the data they're collecting on the goals that they're um, working on. And going, hmm, yeah, everything's going swimmingly. Like, hey, look, the progress mm-hmm. is being made. We're, we're good. We're good. Or mm, oh, there's a hook, hiccup here. Uh, there's some sort of barrier, some sort of obstacle. Let me go to somebody and chat with them about it. Now, educators, like you just said, that happens all the time informally. Mm-hmm. But then just a small little documentation. So then what happens is um, when the IEP rolls around and someone goes, hey, I'm thinking make like an assisted technology evaluation. But wait a second. We already had that conversation. Here's mm-hmm. you see why we have this. Uh, um, why we're suggesting this accommodation on the IEP? That's because I already met with Miss Birchfield. She already gave me suggestions, and I am already integrating them into the document. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Now we look like 
um we look like we've we we've care like we've and we do care but it shows that we care mm-hmm. we're being proactive not reactive we're um we look like rock stars do you know what mm-hmm. i mean and the kids get the those suggestions faster we're not waiting for anything yes and you're not having to not that we don't do trials in the consideration process but again going back to that formality you have to do this for two weeks even if it's not working and you have to get data on it to show that it's not working um that takes time <laughs> well sydney let's talk about that word trials right? mm-hmm. so um once upon a time, a colleague of mine, Judy Schoonover, um, she wrote it in a word and it had never stopped thinking about it this way. Uh, when when we think of the word trials, we spell mm-hmm. it like this, T-R-Y-A-L-S, okay? And the why we say that is, imagine having this consideration discussion where you've got all the stakeholders in place mm-hmm. and you go, we think we'd like to try X, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's multiple things. Maybe that's a tool or maybe it's adjustments to the environment. Like I said, maybe there's a number of suggestions. What then happens next is you're going to try it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then see how things adjust. I'm not a big fan of the word trial in mm-hmm. the T-R-I-A-L because it sort of conjures a picture of a scientific trial where, but the, the uh, in a scientific trial, the scientists are trying to control for all the variables and make one little adjustment and then collect data to see if that one little adjustment happened. While working with humans mm-hmm. in an educational setting, it is impossible to control all the variables. You don't know everything that's happening at home. You don't know everything mm-hmm. that's happening with their family. You don't know about their their diet. Um, you don't know what the media they're consuming. You don't know who their extended family are. You don't know the um, how the, the moon phases. Might I was going to say, is it a full moon? <laughs> yeah, there's a billion things that you can't control for. So what we can do, though, is say we would like to try something and mm-hmm. then just see, you don't even know, most cases, you you don't even know if that's the thing that actually worked. You just know that the data shows that this that the, it has improved. Do you know? Mm-hmm. But it might be a complex mechanism of lots of factors. You know, you're not just going to put. And even if it was just, let's say, you came up with three suggestions at, through this consideration process of things you want to try, would you? Would it be ethical to say, well, which one do we want to try first because we only want to collect data on this one thing? Mm-hmm. No, um, you would want to try maybe all three things. So. Um, you know, my point being is that uh, I'm a I'm a bigger fan of the team getting together, coming up with a uh, ideas of what they'd like to try, and then going with it, and maybe going with it for an entire year in some cases. At the next IEP meeting is when we'll review it. You know, I mean, you're right. going to always be reviewing it, but I kind of officially review it. Um, I like that. I was just thinking today as part of my OT workload this week, it's report card time. So I'm doing more documentation than I am seeing my students. I'm spending more time on documentation, more time on getting data. And I'm not seeing my students as much as that. And that to me is wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is completely wrong. So with you putting assessment in this or framing it in a consideration process and just as a conversation, communication, um, it takes that time piece away that we don't have time in the school system anyways. <laughs> so presenting it in this way is a lot more appealing. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. 
I totally agree. And I think that's what um, people who have been using this have seen as well. You mm -hmm. know, it's um, it's not a new concept. Uh, it's just, uh, there's still, like I said, it's it went from 20 years ago, tons of assessments, a little bitty time doing these sort of uh, consideration discussions. Uh, and now it's a lot more consideration discussions in these, like I said, advocates still maybe pushing an old school evaluation model. Mm -hmm. um, so you did talk a little bit, you were kind of initially in charge of your AT team, or you were the founder of it at your first school. Um, is that still your position now? When you have a consideration to make, are you the go-to person? Yeah, go good to question. Good question. Um, so that's not, so let me be clear about this. So when, but way back in the day when I was the speech language pathologist in that elementary school, um, after three years in that third year, my supervisor, who was the supervisor of all of the related service, so the speech language pathologists and OTs and PTs said, Chris, do you want to be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team? So there were five of us and there was me, Judy, who I just mentioned, and then, um, three others that, uh, that founded the team. So it was never just me. And the mm -hmm. way our school district uh, works is that uh, this is different all over the, the country and the world, but um, we work on a county-based system, right? So you know this from Virginia. So we have, uh, at the time, it was probably 70 schools. Now we're close to 100 schools. Um, mm -hmm. And the way the current way that works now is that I am the assistive technology specialist, uh, which is an administration position that supports nine facilitators that spread out over those schools. So approximately, you know, 10, 10 schools each, you know, um, and, uh, and I support their work. And so okay. we, again, are trying to uh, facilitate these conversations at those schools. Um, so, yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, if you are doing a consideration process. Do you ever involve the student in that? Absolutely, at all, if 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 at all possible, all the time. You know, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how do you do that? What ways uh, do you involve that student? So, in the same way um, that uh, we would invite them to the to to be part of this discussion is by when we're having this consideration, what are what are the strategies that might work for you? What do you think mm -hmm. would be least restrictive? And here's the thing, when we don't in involve them, usually it's because um, they're maybe very, very young, you know, that's uh, a consideration. Or um, if we, what we find, we've made mistakes over the years where we thought we would try and impose some piece of technology onto a learner and they ain't having it you know what yes. I mean? um yes so this this was classic middle school where it was like uh, not everybody but certainly like here let me give you this piece of technology that nobody else in the classroom is using and because we didn't involve you we just said here this will really uh help you and they would be like yeah but no one else is using it and i don't want to look different in front of my peers so yes. yeah, that's going right in the locker and i'm never seeing it again and so inviting them into that dis this this uh discussion mm -hmm. helps us know that right away you know? yes um i think motivation funding may be first in the school system but motivation is a fast second to the importance of implementing technology 
Well, Sydney, let me tell you there. What I my experience is um, funding actually is maybe lower down on the list. The bigger thing I find is mindset around it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it's cheating, or I wouldn't. Uh, other kids don't have access to that, so why would this kid have access to that? Or, or like I said, uh, a learner's mindset. I don't want to look different. So, mm-hmm. so okay. Well, what can we do to make this an option that anybody has? So you're not looking different. Yes. You know, it's just hey, I'm using my tools. You know, and this tool's available to me just like it's available to you. Um, the funding comes the way. I, I reason I think that comes a little bit lower down on the list is because once we have the mindset. Now there's lots of places that money, we can go, oh, there's grants and there's PTOs and there's, um, there's uh, donors choose and, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, there's tax- taxpayer dollars that we can ask our supervisor for, you know, for budget items too. But there's the money's out there once you realize that's what you need. Do you know what I'm right. saying? Um, it's, uh, it's getting around. That's what you need first. That seems like the bigger barrier. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be honest, I think since assistive technology has become more mainstream, there are a lot of free options out there that you don't need to, you know, fund voice typing on Google Docs. You don't have to. That's free. You know, everybody can use that. Um, I do think a barrier we have come into or come across is with the SOLs. And I'm assuming you guys do the SOLs of since, you're in, since you're in Virginia. Sydney, let's just tell real quick, standards of learning, it's like standards standardized, learning. standardized yes. assessments in Virginia. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have come across some red tape. Um, if I have something adapted that I need to get approved for the student to use, it has to be in their IEP that they can use it. They have to be using it all year leading up to the SOL. Um, so I think that's a huge part of consideration mm-hmm. with AT in the school system. It is, it is. It, it is, and it isn't. Let me explain mm-hmm. that. There will be some teachers that will take that and twist what you just said there, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Going, um, well, because they can't do it on that standardized test at the end of the year, then therefore I don't want to have it for instruction yes. throughout the year. I've and, heard that almost <laughs> verbatim almost in a verbatim, meeting. <laughs> right? And the question that I would ask back to that same educator is, does that mean you don't use flashcards? Does that mean you don't let them take notes? Does that mean... Um, that you don't use an interactive whiteboard because they won't have that either. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so does that mean they're not allowed to stand? You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of other, uh, like you use technology and you use strategies all year mm-hmm. long to prepare them for their learning. The right. test is just a one-time thing, you know? So um, so that's, that's a strategy I think that we can use mm-hmm. to say this helps them learn so they'll do better on the test, even if they yes. can't have access to it on the test. Right. Now that, that's that's one answer. But the second <laughs> answer, Sydney, is the 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 rogue in me that wants to really I mean, we're doing a podcast here, right? So so here it is. School shut down during the pandemic. Do you remember that? I don't know where you were in, in March. I was 13. here. Okay, this, right. That's actually what got me into assistive technology is COVID. <laughs> okay, I want to hear that story, but let me just go. So, schools shut down all over the country, right? What's the mm-hmm. first thing we punt? Because it was March, all these assessments are coming up. SOLs. Boom, standardized testing, <laughs> don't need it. Why did we ever bring it back? If we could get rid of it that easily, then why do we need it? The better answer is in the same way. Um, that I said earlier, well, here's this technology that can help you do this task, but let me ask you, why are we making them do this task? Here's this technology that'll give you a, a more equal, uh, equitable experience on the test. 
why are we making you take the test? Is there not different ways? Look at you clapping, right? Yes, mm -hmm. ed educators rejoice when I say that. But aren't there better ways we could assess your knowledge and you could demonstrate your knowledge? And certainly technology can help that way. You know, there's yeah. so many things already built into technology that you're already using or already available that you could use to analyze somebody's writing, analyze somebody's reading, analyze that without taking some sort of weird, uh, um, uh, inauthentic uh, assessment at the end of it. You know? Yes. Well, and our whole goal from that assessment is to see what the students learn or are learning what their knowledge base is. We can yeah. find that out in many different ways instead of putting a standardized or of learning test on it. Yeah, another quick analogy there, Sydney, because you had mentioned bringing the learners into the discussion process. Mm -hmm. A great analogy there that most learners understand are video games. This is not anything foreign to someone who plays video games, meaning let's just take a simple game like a football game, like Madden or something, right? You play this game, at the end of the game, it gives you feedback and statistics, how many passes you threw, how many interceptions you have, or just take a real game. Someone's collecting that data and then you're reflecting on, mm, okay, when my feet go this way, I throw more interceptions. When I keep running this play and it's not working, what if I ran a different play? Learners analyze their statistics from the video game to adjust their performance. That's not any different than we're talking about for reading, writing, language, any other skill we're asking them to do. Learners already know how to do this in many cases. It's us that still have this foreign test uh, that, that, that you have to take. So um, there's some other probably political and financial reasons. I always say, Sydney, follow the money. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Um, but that's something I think we could be looking at as a society that we could change. That can be a whole other podcast. True, for, for sure. Let me climb off that soapbox let me get back to what you said though cindy cindy because i'm curious uh before you move on to the next question mm -hmm. uh you said covid got you into assistive technology what tell, tell us more what did uh it did um so i'm in ot and when the world shut down we went virtual completely virtual i had never done i had never seen a student virtually so everything and ot is very tactile so everything that I was doing, I had to form it in a virtual setting. So I um, expanded with Google Jamboards and I was trying to listen to all the past um, tech podcasts that I could to find some strategies. Um, I was using a document camera for the first time. Um, I was sharing my screen for the first time. So going with that, I saw how much of an equalizer technology was because I had such a worry for most of my students going virtual because I have trouble sometimes communicating that with them one-on-one -on -one in person and to put a screen in front of them I, I was just so worried but with all the things that assistive technology can offer we made it work and it was fine. It was very successful. Honestly, I had some better virtual sessions than I ever had in person. Um, so that is really what sparked my interest in 2AT. Sydney, I hear that all over the place. What, what you're, that story that you just shared is like, yeah, there were some aspects that were really good. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you said, what I just heard you, just let me just summarize. 
your tech skills went up. The people that you work with tech skills went up. The, yes. the, the students' tech skills went up. You had some fun exchanges because you were using technology that wasn't the same old humdrum, boring thing, go to school every day and I'm already falling asleep telling Google you. Google Docs, yes. Yeah, Google right. Docs. But here's some new things that we haven't tried before. And now my brain's in trying to figure it out. And I'm, <laughs> um, and so I'm engaged in trying to solve this puzzle. of how, And the puzzle being, how does this technology work, right? And so, so those are some definite benefits um, to using that technology. I fear, mm -hmm. Sydney, that since we've been back in in-person learning that we've, um, I've seen it. I've seen the slide back into, yes. you know, we're all, here's this paper-based worksheet that we're, ugh, you know. Yes. Well, and to that, you know, I had some wonderful strategies, virtual timers on the Chromebook. We have a one-to-one technology initiative at the school. So all the students have Chromebooks. Um, so a lot of the strategies I was implementing virtually, I could do it when they got to school. They were motivated to use it. They have their Chromebook in their hands immediately, but it's not what we're used to. So it took a long time to get that transition yeah. to make it. Yeah. Well, good for you for continuing that up, like for for thinking, well, there were some real positives here. Let me take those positives and keep them, not just throw everything, not throw the old expression, throw the baby out with the <laughs> Yeah, well, um, and it did change our way of thinking. It changed everyone's way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And technology, I believe, it opens our perspective up so much more. It opens so many doors and opens so many opportunities, and it makes us think differently. Mm -hmm. I agree. It, if, yeah. if you use it rightly, if you use if, it correctly. Yes, if we yeah. use it correctly. And yeah. I mean, it has the principles of universal design, inclusivity already there at our fingertips. We yeah. don't have to change anything. We don't have to put more work in. It's there. We just have to learn about it. <laughs> just have to invite it in and yes. have open mind and understand that um, if I get had the right mindset or shift mind, mindset to adopt that, that mindset mm -hmm. that it can be done um, and that it can be used to redesign the educational experience, then, man, it, it's benefit for you, benefit for the learners. It's just the sweet spot. It is. Um, I know we talked a little bit about TTAC and I know they have a lending library. Um, do you have any other resources that um, you seek out to borrow or to trial, T-R-Y, to try, um, like mid and low or mid and high tech assistive technology just to see if it is a fit for the student. Yeah, in our neck of the woods, we're fortunate that we usually have the resources that we need to. So we right. um we we generally don't even take advantage of the TTAC lending library. Uh we we could. Maybe that's something a resource but over the years we just said let's build this um and use them as a resource if we can't find something or if we are struggling with something. Um, right. So, so that's one, and but it, it, every state has a tech act. So the TTAC is here in Virginia, but across the country, you know, if Sydney, you decide to move and go someplace, just know that there's always something like this. Everyone in the United States right. has a state agency they can go to, to, um, to look for resources like that. Mm -hmm. And then besides like the low tech and high tech, what I think is more, um, again, with the idea that the mindset and learning is more important than the technology and technology mm -hmm. helps you. Um, what's something that I've, that I would really embrace is building your professional learning network. You know, now having been around the block for a couple of years, I have 
I feel really fortunate to be part of this. Uh, I think the the nine facilitators and the people I work with in my local school district as my immediate family. And then I have the entire country and world beyond that as my extended family, you know, mm -hmm. and you will not find a more um, inclusive, welcoming uh, community than people that work in inclusive design and mm -hmm. assistive technology. So there's where I would I would spend my minutes is because then they'll put you in touch with places that are have resources. Oh, well, have you tried this or have you tried okay. this person or have you? I know somebody that works at that university that can get you so and so. You know, those sorts of connections far outweigh one single resource. And I always have trouble thinking of a person as a resource. <laughs> um, but being at the program at um, George Mason, that is one of the most beneficial things other than the vast knowledge that I'm learning um, is that um, team that you are creating with the students. I mean, there's a student in California, a student in Utah so that I would have never met otherwise or sought out. So just, yes. Yeah. And then you become Facebook friends or Instagram and then you keep up and then, you know, my months might go by, but then you see something they post and you, you know, you chat with it. Or like I said, inviting people be to become some of the uh, participate in the communities that already exist. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're on Twitter, but there's Twitter chat every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, okay. Half an hour where people ask assistive technology related questions. Um, there's a Discord community that's starting up, a couple of different Discord communities, but one that's for the AT chat community. There's an AAC one. Um, and so there's just, just so many resources out there that you can be you can become part of. Mm -hmm. That is actually was actually one of my questions. If you um come in contact with um support staff or clients who don't really know what assistive technology is, what is your like go-to resource that you start them out with? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I, give me a story. Like, give me an, for instance, I need more. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's say there was a new mom. She has a child in early intervention. He has um, some fine motor difficulties and he is starting to use an AAC device. They have no knowledge of any of this assistive technology. Well, I mean, the first thing I think is really easy thing to say is listen to the podcast. <laughs> well, yes. But I might be biased there, Sydney. Um, it's a free resource that you can listen to every week. Uh, I'd, I would give it on, yes, on Spotify. I found it on Spotify. <laughs> um, and uh, in that particular parent, I might give them some specific ones to listen to because we've been doing it for many years now. So it's like, what? Five years of content? How do I get to what really? Here, listen Great. to these two or three while you're driving around. Chances are, as a parent, you're driving around someplace. You know, you can find it, have it on the background where you're doing anything else. So you it, you don't need to invest time solely going to watch a YouTube video or looking up yes. or joining a community or it's just download the episode and listen to it as you're doing other stuff could mm -hmm. be low hanging fruit. But then the second thing that is um, uh, that I would say is there is likely somebody in your neck of the woods that is uh, working in this capacity, maybe officially uh, there, they have like in our neck of the woods, we have nine facilitators plus me that this is our job. Um, but I would go to your, go to whoever your case manager is and say, hey, I've been wondering about blah, blah, blah. What's that process look like here? Oh yeah, we got somebody we can collaborate with or mm -hmm. um, let's talk about it together. Uh, I think that's the uh, 
the the human resources are the people that I would go to first, not yes. like the human resource department, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be looking towards humans rather than right. one, some sort of library of stuff, you know, oh, now, yes. for professionals, I have to give a shout out to like, I'm sure, um, Cindy George has mentioned this to you, but there's something called the quiet listserv. Does that ring any bell? <gasps> yes, it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. That is a longstanding, probably the longest standing community of people that work in assistive technology. And essentially you write a question and it shows up in everybody's email. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have that filtered and, you know, maybe once a day or every other day I go over and I see all the people that have posted something to the quiet listserv. And then you can see responses to that question. And so it's more, it's like a a Facebook chat, you know, but it's mm-hmm. um, done through email. And then I go and respond when I can respond or read when I want to read, or if I have a question, I can post it out there. And so that would be another place that I would say, and they mm-hmm. keep all the archives of everything. So you can go back and search right. everything if you want. So that is sort of the the go-to de- repository, I would say, is the quiet listening. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think since assistive technology is so broad, it is scary to start out looking into it. There's so much, you don't even know where to begin. It's so broad. And I think, especially in the school system, we don't have time. The teachers don't have time to do anything other than teach to the SOLs. Um, And I think that keeps people away from assistive technology because it is so vast and broad. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's also, Sydney, something uh, many of us have been advocating for for many years. Um, but uh Let's dig into it for a second, okay? Because I think it's a, it's an important distinction. Is well, let me ask, what do you think is the difference between assistive technology mm-hmm. and technology? I don't think there is too much of a difference. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all of it is assistive. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the one has a federal definition mm-hmm. that says if a person with a disability uses it then that's called assistive technology. But note the word, I very specifically use the word um, uses it, not needs it. And the reason I say that is because that's the definition. If you were to Google it right now, you'd see a person person with a disability who uses, right? And so that has really driven a lot of conversation over the last 10 years specifically, um, maybe 15, about like, what is the difference? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, let's take two kids, right? I have one kid who has an identified disability and they need to use word prediction. And so, yep, that that is called assistive technology because they're, they have a disability and they're using word prediction. So that's clearly assistive technology. But now you have this another kid that sits right next to that kid. And this kid did not was not found eligible as a student with a disability. Still uses word prediction all the time. Is that called assistive technology? Technically, no. This kid didn't cross the magical line of having a disability, um, but it's the same thing. It's still it's still using word prediction. So, mm-hmm. uh, some of us have been advocating for either a definition change or a name change to think about it as just technology or inclusive technology. Well, and taking that assistive part away from it, it makes it more accessible because I know marketing. If you put slap assistive in front of technology, price skyrockets. Mm. But if it's just technology, it 
It's yes. free for the masses most of the time. <laughs> well, and so again, let's bring that back. You you said price, and I'll say mindset, right? How many general ed teachers will be like, "Whoa, that's a that's an assistive tech." I hear the word assistive technology. I have associated in my brain special education. Because I learned that back in my grad school days that assistive technology, oh, and we talk about assistive technology at the IEP meetings, so mm -hmm. that they are linked in my brain. But what if I just said, what's some technology that can, you can use to, to help this learner? Now it's different. And then it's, what's some technology you can use to redesign the experience so anyone can participate in it? Now it's different. You don't think of it as assistive and you don't think of it as tied specifically to people with disabilities. Right. Well, that goes back to what you were talking about in the beginning with inclusive design, having um, somebody who needs to use technology uh, at the start of the innovation of technology, of what it's creating. So we can think about all the things that we need instead of thinking of that person after the technology has been created. Yes, exactly. I would say, Sydney, too, there's probably some... Um, disability advocates over the years that have done amazing work to make the world, uh, force the world into being more inclusive or just more accessible. Let's put it that way. Um, and so I could hear some of the people uh, listening to this podcast or experiencing this podcast going, yeah, but we need those, that distinction because there's, there's people out there that'll, that will deny us then if we don't make that distinction. So I feel like we're, we're, we're not quite there yet. We're getting no. there, you know? Yes. And I think that's a, an important conversation to have, but I don't think it takes priority over other things going on. For instance, the SOLs, <laughs> that is going to be coming first before an AT conversation, unfortunately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. All right. What other questions do you have for me? You answered all of my questions and more. <laughs> well, Sydney, let me uh, wrap up then with a question for you. Uh, so you, you graduate from George Mason University, right? You're going to have mm -hmm. your, um, your master's degree? I will. Yes. It's a master's in education, technically an in instruction and curriculum with a concentration in assistive technology. That's the important part. Um, what, what comes next? Um, I would, I want to work in a school system. I've always wanted to work in a school system. Um, I would love to facilitate because like I said before, my school system is very small. So our assistive technology it's very, and I want to keep it informal. After our conversation, I do want to keep it informal. Um, but I want to um, just be a resource more so um, to the school system. I would love to keep my occupational therapy job, but I would also love to be more of an AT resource in the school system. Excellent. Excellent. So your core currently where you're working doesn't have somebody that's uh, employed in that capacity. It's a other duties as assigned sort of thing. Right? Yeah. TTAC helped us set up an AT team, which um, kind of floundered uh, during COVID because there was so much going on. Um, but that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and OT, I mean, under the umbrella of OT, AT is very connected. So it just kind of organically meshed well together <laughs> yeah judy who have now i've mentioned the for three thir three times on the podcast now is was an occupational therapist or is an occupational therapist yes and um and one of the founding members of the the team right so it, mm -hmm. i agree completely uh intimately linked um just if it gives you any peace of mind or solace what you just said about a um 
TTAC helping your school district come up with an assistive technology team and then it's sort of dissolving, that um, is not uncommon. Like I've worked with states all over the the, the country where teams have uh, attempted to be formed and then they dissolve over time, usually because it's on the backs of two or three people who are really invested in this and then they move, you know, or they yes. get a different job, right? Is that what happened here? People moved on? Um, yes. Our AT team has been like an amoeba. It has formed into many different, <laughs> different mm-hmm. things. Um, so, and sometimes not in my case, but sometimes that job is forced upon some people and they might not be passionate about it, but it's, somebody's checking off a box. Oh, we have an AT team check. Um, when Mm -hmm. that person's not really interested in it, you know, um, well advice there. If you are, you get you, cause no reason to wait, you could be working on that kind of stuff right now. And you're as a, uh, in your current role, um, and just asking the right people, the right questions, do you know? Yes. Something that we've been toying with is the idea of keeping the documents or the records of the team in some sort of place that um, oftentimes a lot of stuff like this, when you have these conversations and you let's open up a Google doc and keep our notes in it and stuff that lives in one person's Google drive. And then yes. when that person leaves, that's well, where was that stuff? And the whole, uh, <laughs> legacy conversations the the just sort of disappear and the history disappears and i think cr- doing that in a fo- in a place that um is a little bit easier to access like a google site for instance right mm-hmm. and now that and it, okay other people can access that google site or they find it or thinking of some place that uh what's a record we can keep so that it's it becomes more systemically thought of. Those are the questions we'd have to ask. How do we make sure this doesn't disappear if, you know, you decide, you and your family decide to have a baby and you then don't come back or you and your family decide to move to Alaska and you don't come back. Just thinking through the make it more systemic rather than what can we do just this year could be really, um, to be powerful, you know? Well, and to that, something that will also follow the students, the technology trail with the students that we've tried, that is something where the formality helps a little bit because it does kind of force you to keep paper trail, but yes, it's, it's yes. a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, some sort of tracking mechanism that yes. um, says, okay, here's the history, what's been tried, and mm-hmm. some notes on why that was tried and why that worked or why that wasn't working, you know? Yes, yeah. All right. Well, Sydney, any sort of final thoughts, any advice you'd give anybody? Let me ask you that. Or besides, here's here's the real, the, the, the my, my favorite question to end an interview with is, you know, clearly you're passionate about this. You can hear it in your voice. What are some things out in the world right now that you're questing after, you're curious about, you know, um, a technology or a strategy that you've heard of that is just like, piqued your interest and you just want to dive in. Come on, Cindy George, free me up from this assignment so I can go play with this stuff, you know, tell me. <laughs> Honestly, um, it is simple technology that is at our fingertips with our phone apps. Um, I have not been diagnosed with ADHD, but I, as I get older, I am finding out that I have that. So selfishly, I'm interested in technology like that can assist me with that. But I think a passion I am developing is for students who have just recently graduated high school going out onto a job site. That is um, kind of an untouched uh, area in our community. 
And assistive technology has such a great part, or it could have a great part if we have the right resources. Um, so I'm very intrigued about that. Cindy, I heard two big things there. And really, this is Cindy George is like the perfect person. You are the you are in the right spot. To, to, <laughs> um, so one thing is the accessibility features or not even let's not let's call them usability features of all these different technologies that exist. And I didn't know this was there. Oh, I didn't mm -hmm. know you could do that with this. And um, you could make a career out of just showing people that kind of stuff, you know? Very, very true. <laughs> um, I literally just was just at a conference where it was about, uh, my session was hidden technologies and the jaw dropping like, what? That's in my phone? <laughs> I didn't know what? That that new thing just came out in Microsoft Word and I don't, didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. We use Microsoft Word all the time. You know, like the, the eyes get wide, the jaw drops. And, you know, in some cases people start crying. I There's certain features that I'm like, wow, you know, because it's such a powerful thing. This is so, it's such, this technology is going to really improve my life. But then the second thing I heard you say there is really talking about um, learners in the community, which screams to me transition. And yes. what, is the, what is that portion of assistive technology and the, the convergence of technology with um, with the transition process? And um, that certainly is, I, I would agree. There's lots of places that um, that is, uh, a lot of people have talked about it, but I don't know that there's... Uh, uh, there's definitely work that can be done. Let's just say that there's definitely yes. work to be done to yes. make sure that, okay, how does that baton passing happening when someone is using a school piece piece of equipment, uh, it's purchased by a school, they're going to keep that and that person's going to be going into a community now. Um, how do they get that new thing? And how does someone teach the staff that's in that new place how they use that thing? You know, and that's just one small aspect of it. So, um, so yeah, again, they could have a whole career on that too. So. <laughs> Sydney, the world is your oyster. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. I've learned, I mean, even just this short conversation, you've changed my perspectives on assistive technology already. Well, thank you, Sydney. Thanks for, I, I it's pe meeting people like you that help me know that the future is very, very bright. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.